This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 161. Smart Passive Income. Smart Passive Income. Smart Passive Income. Smart Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he loves Disney movies as much as his kids do, Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use. And one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just there's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site too, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio. And it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there. They are the sponsor of this episode. And I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine and, you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. All right, all right, what's up everybody? Pat Flynn here and thank you for joining me in session 161 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thank you for all the love, the support, the ratings and reviews on iTunes. And also, if you haven't yet done so, please subscribe to the show because that way you can get this content directly uploaded to your device every single Wednesday. That's when these episodes come out and I have a whole slew of episodes ready for you, already recorded and they are amazing just like this episode today, which features a woman who knows what she's talking about when it comes to finding ideas. We break down how to find great ideas, the different types of ideas you can use to build a brand new business online, and also how to build a huge following around those ideas. So why don't we just skip all the chatter and get right into the interview. Here is Dory Clark from doryclark.com and author of Standout. Here we go. Dory, what's up? Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Hey, Pat. I'm so glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Tell us a little bit about who Dory Clark is before we get into all that good stuff we're going to get into. Yeah, absolutely. So I am an author. Uh, My first book came out uh, two years ago in 2013. Uh, It was called Reinventing You from Harvard Business Review Press about personal branding and uh, professional reinvention. And I have a new book out called Standout, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Uh, When I'm not writing, I teach business school for Duke University and uh, give a lot of talks and and do consulting. 
That's very cool. And you told me just before we started recording that you were on TV yesterday, which is awesome. Thank um, you. So you're over in New York. And uh, what were you on TV for? Yeah, so I was on MSNBC uh, talking about uh, Trevor Noah, the new host of The Daily Show, and his errant tweets and mm. uh, what that means about your digital reputation in the modern era. So it was a fun conversation. That's really cool. Now your book, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Why did you choose to write about this? So I was really interested in the topic because as I am sure you've noticed and many of your listeners have, these days it's just harder than ever to break through. I mean, there's so much noise. Everybody in the world is, is screaming and trying to get their message across. Mm -hmm. And it's great in the sense that without gatekeepers, more people are able to express their ideas. But the downside of that new problem that people are facing is that it's harder than ever to actually be heard. And I would like to live in a world where the best ideas really do win. And so I wrote Stand Out because I wanted to try to create a book essentially with some life hacks, with some strategies, so that for people who have great ideas, who want to somehow break out and get noticed, that they will be able to know how to do that as efficiently as possible. I like that. Now, when I got your book, I thought it was just all about, okay, taking the idea that you already had or taking the business that you're already in and then how to stand out from everybody else. But it seems like it all starts even before that. It starts with the idea because you even say in your tagline, how to find your breakthrough idea. So can we talk about really quick for those of you who are listening who you might not even have, you know, started yet. Maybe you're still searching for that breakthrough idea. Dory, how can we help these people out? How do we help people find their breakthrough idea? Yeah, absolutely, Pat. And I, I think it, it really is an important point because a lot of us start out and we don't necessarily know where we're going to make our mark. You know, we, we a lot of it is an iterative process. Um, for me, I started out as a, a marketing consultant, you know, just a general marketing consultant. I would do, um, you know, marketing plans and social media plans for uh, for companies. And that was great, but it wasn't very specialized. But it actually turned out for me um, I had started doing a lot of blogging. And in 2010, I wrote a post for the Harvard Business Review called How to Reinvent Your Personal Brand. And that, you know, was not meant to be my definitive statement to humanity. <laughs> it was just like one blog post that I had done out of many. But that post really resonated for some reason. And so I actually got asked to turn the blog post into a magazine article for the Harvard Business Review. And when the magazine article came out, I actually got approached by three different literary agents asking me if I would be interested in writing a book. And, you know, that sounds like great luck and serendipity, but for literally years before that, I had been trying. I'd written three different book proposals that didn't go anywhere, it got rejected by everybody. And so this was really the thing that that just worked. It just clicked. Um, but I had to try a lot of different things to find it. And so I think many people are in that position where they might know generally where they where they want to, you know, the field they want to play in, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily know that breakthrough idea. So in Stand Out, I interviewed about 50 top thought leaders in a cross section of different fields, everybody from business thinkers um, that your listeners are, are probably familiar with, people like uh, Ramit Sethi and David Allen mm -hmm. and Tom Peters and uh, and then, you know, Seth Godin, uh, and also people in science, people in genomics, people in urban planning uh, to try to figure out how they did come up with those ideas. So it, it turns out there's uh, there's five major ways that, that people do, do it, and I'm happy to get into any of them. Yeah, let's let's start from the top. All right. Fantastic. I'll give you the really brief overview and, and we can delve sure. further. But uh, big one. OK, number one, 
start out with a niche strategy and then expand outward strategically. This is something I think you've done really well, Pat, um, you know, with, with all of the different sites that, that you've done. Uh, it's very hard to make a mark if you, if you just start out and say, I'm going to be the expert in technology or I'm going to be the expert in politics. You know, you're competing with the entire world. So by starting with, with something uh, very narrow and distinct, whether it's food trucks, whether it's you know, pa- smart passive income sources, you can make a name for yourself. And then the secret, though, you don't want to be pigeonholed forever doing that. You want to expand out so that you move into new territory from there. So you, you might start out with a smart passive income podcast, and before long, it's successful. People consider you a recognized expert on podcasting in general or uh, you know, business in general. Yeah, and I've, so, I've seen that happen uh, in several niches, not just with myself, but with a lot of other people too. They start with something and then they sort of become known as an expert in that space. And for example, for my Green Exam Academy site, which helped me become an expert teaching people how to pass this little exam in the architecture industry, if I wanted to, I probably could have taken that further and helped people pass other exams in the architecture industry and then maybe become this sort of world-renowned architecture exam guy instead of just the lead guy, right? So you kind of expand out from there. And as, as I always say, you know, the riches are in the niches, you know, but it's hard because I think a lot of people don't know, like, is there a definitive number of, I don't know, like, how do we quantify, okay, what's small enough or what's too small? Yeah, it's, it's an important question. And you're, you're exactly right, too, that, that a really interesting thing is that when you are expanding out from your niche, you can go in a million different directions. I mean, clearly, you chose not to become the exam guy. You moved in a different direction, but mm-hmm. there, there was and is that potentiality. In terms of determining you know, the audience size, I think that you know, re- really um, the way that, that I would think about it is a good niche is one that is small enough that you can become the you know the the clear the clear master of it because the big players in the industry only talk about it periodically. Mm. So you know, for instance, uh, if technology is your thing, uh, you know, TechCrunch, uh, Engadget, whatever those those might be the big players. Um, they are not going to be writing about uh, specifics of wearable technology every single day. They're going to have things periodically. If it's big news, it'll be on there, but it's not wearables all the time. If you start a wearables blog, you very quickly can become an expert just because you're creating such a volume of content that other folks are not. But how, how narrow is too narrow? I think the, the question is really, what is, what is your goal with it? If it's, if it's actually really narrow, but you're looking to, to, do, to become an expert to drive consulting business, that's actually fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are looking for something like page views or advertising or whatever, um, then you want to basically say, uh, who are, you know, who are the people that are interested in? Is it a broad enough interest that I can get the eyeballs I need to be sustainable with my business model? It's a question of understanding your model and then working backwards from it. Right, right. That, that's really important. And then when, when starting out, like, where does that, seed idea come from? Because really you could go any which way. Does it come from passion? Does it come from what people ask you the most questions about? I mean, where does it, where does one even get the initial kind of seed for finding a niche? So 
it varies. One common path is actually, I think, the one that you took, path, uh, Pat, which is uh, solving your own problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you were you were looking to pass an exam. You created uh, information to help you do that, and realized, oh, you know, other other people are in this situation too. Um, that's a, a really standard one. Uh, another way that that people are able to come up with with really interesting. Uh, areas to focus on, you know, one that I included in my book, Stand Out, uh, is kind of emblematic. And it comes really from drawing uh, in a different way on your personal experiences. There's a woman that I profile named Rose Schumann. Uh, actually, she's uh, she's a relative neighbor of yours. She's based in Santa Monica. Huh. And she grew up, you know, nice suburban, you know, family lifestyle uh, in uh, just outside DC. When she was 18 years old, her family took a trip to to, uh, Nicaragua, which is where her stepmother was from, to visit her stepmother's family. And it was shortly after the Contra War had ended. And the entire country was just, you know, decimated. There was nothing there. There were no traffic lights. And she was so struck by this. It made such an impression on her. She decided that she wanted to devote her life to doing international development work. So she ends up doing this. And... Uh, You know, she learns about the field, does a lot of different things. One day she's walking around. By this point, she's in her early 20s and she sees a call box, you know, like these these boxes you might have at a transit station where you push a button and, you know, you talk to somebody and and answer a question. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people see these every day. Right. This is just a common part of an urban landscape. But because of her experiences, because of her training, all of a sudden It clicked in her mind. She had been thinking literally for years about the problem of how do you bring Internet access to the poor? And all of a sudden she said, wait a minute, if you could install these call boxes, people don't even they don't have to have computers. They don't even have to understand what the Internet is, um, because all you need to do is push a button and ask someone a question. And at the other end, there are bilingual translators sitting there and Googling the answers. And so she's created a nonprofit called Question Box, which has become a huge player in improving lives across Africa and India as a result of that. That's something that came from her family history, her background. She was able to see things in a way that other people couldn't because of uh, what was really most unique about her. Yeah, that's really cool. So she didn't obviously have that kind of itch herself that she needed to scratch, but she saw that there was this need and she kind of put two and two together and found a solution. Exactly. That's really awesome. That's really cool. Okay. So you had mentioned, okay, niche strategy, you know, kind of starting narrow and kind of growing out from there if you wanted to. Um, And you said there were maybe four others that that we could talk about in terms of that breakthrough idea. Absolutely. I don't know if we've kind of covered those already in kind of the other follow-up questions and I apologize. I'm I'm just kind of getting deeper and deeper here, but uh, why don't we go back to the list here? Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's dive in. I love it. All right. So the, the next one, Pat, is about combining disciplines. And the reason this is so fruitful is that if you are coming strictly from from one field, you know, from just being steeped in one mentality, it's actually really hard to see how you can do things a different way. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's like the fish in water, right? It's, you know, what water. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people. Um, who are, are so deeply immersed in one perspective, that's how they see it. But if you are able to take different professions or, you know, even just maybe uh, combining 
experiences you've had, hobbies you've had, things that you've studied in depth that other people haven't, and mash them up, you can begin to really have different insights because all of a sudden you're able to compare and contrast and say, wait, this works over here. Why don't we try it here? And so listeners of your show, uh, I'm sure will be familiar with a lean startup by Eric Reese, mm-hmm. um, which is a you know a perfect example of this. Uh, here's a guy who ended up you know starting a movement, writing a best-selling book, and he did it by taking startups, you know, technology entrepreneurship, and combining it with almost the most unlikely thing possible, which is lean manufacturing that Toyota pioneered to improve automotive manufacturing. I mean, this it's like the ultimate industrial behemoth practice. And he melded them together and created something new and valuable. Right. And it's been completely revolutionary for how people create businesses and do startups. I mean, I, I've adopted a lot of Eric Reese's uh, philosophies in my own business too. And so that comes from the manufacturing industry, you're saying, but he kind of brought it over, adopted it for a whole new set of people. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. I love that. Okay, let's keep going. All right. So the so the third one that has been very fruitful for people in coming up with their breakthrough idea is, uh, you know, the, the umbrella is creating original research. And this this could really be all kinds of things, right? This could be doing surveys. This could be creating case studies. This could be um, doing product reviews. Um, it, it could be, uh, you know, any any number of things. It could be a quantitative analysis where you're, you know, crunching data, you know, cr- crunching, uh, you know, the patterns you find in Twitter feeds, whatever it is. Um, and the reason that this is so important is that in the internet era, everybody has opinions, right? Every Everybody, you know, has their own theories about why such and such works or, you know, why such and such sucks. But what is much harder to find is actual new information and facts. Mm. And so if you are creating that somehow, you are actually really going to make yourself a player because you're injecting something new into the discourse that other people are then going to take up and talk about. And this does not have to be expensive. You don't have to be commissioning international surveys or things like this. I actually profile in standout a guy named Michael Waxenberg, who, you know, started out very unlikely. His he was an IT manager at a financial services company. He and his wife were planning to buy a, uh, a co-op in New York City. And so they started just going to open houses. They wanted to research this so they could make a smart decision. And be, he became so into it. He visited so many open houses. And then he posted very, very detailed reviews on this website, Street Easy. Um, he very quickly built up a reputation among people who use that site as being something of an expert on the housing in his neighborhood. And so he started getting a stream of people saying, oh, I want to work with you. Will you represent me when I buy this house? Mm-hmm. And the only problem was he wasn't a realtor. And so he was actually able to build this incredibly lucrative side business for himself because before he had even gotten his real estate license, he had a stream of clients begging to work with him because he had established his expertise so much through doing these reviews, which cost him no money to do. That's really cool. I love that. And, and so it doesn't necessarily have to be because you, you had mentioned, you know, original research and data. I was thinking software, but this doesn't sound like software at all. This example that you used, it could be the, the, the output of the research can be sort of in any which way. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, I something that I would classify as original research is uh, taking a journalistic approach. You know, instead of just writing a blog post and saying, here's what I think about, you know, about self-driving cars or here's what I think about this new app, you know, it, and that's that's great. Uh, and if you really have uh, a detailed, nuanced perspective, fantastic. But what could be potentially even better is to act like a journalist, interview people, come up, come up with things so that you are really um, adding something new rather than just being one more voice in the echo chamber. You don't need technical training to, to do it. It could be qualitative or quantitative. Yeah, it almost sounds like um, you know, John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire and how many interviews he's doing with other entrepreneurs. He's sort of collating all that data and he's doing all the research for everybody. And he's now considered an expert in the space. And, and obviously that has uh, combined with niche strategy number one, which is kind of he's at, he's kind of branched out from just the person who interviews other entrepreneurs. But now he's serving people who are starting podcasts and doing webinars now. So he's, he's kind of all over the place. And there's no one that there's no re, uh, wonder why his uh, income reports are, are even much bigger than, than my own each month. Um, so so he's a great example of that, that a lot, a lot of my audience would probably uh, recognize. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you might wonder, how, how do you make that transition from being behind the microphone to being in front of the microphone in a, in a proverbial sense? But, but you're exactly right. I mean, people look to John, people look to you as experts uh, because you have, through the interviews and uh, the, you know, the knowledge that you've presented to other people and also gleaned in your own prof you know, professional development by doing the interviews, um, you, you transform yourself into a source that's more knowledgeable than almost anybody else. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, number four. All right, so number four is um, what I will call attacking a big problem. And basically what, what this means is that, you know, and I think it's, it's especially true in the tech world. People talk about this a lot. Um, there's, there's so many small incremental me too type products, mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of the equivalent of, Oh, you know, it's, it's, uh, Uber for, for window washing. <laughs> it's like, Oh, really? <laughs> you know, just nobody cares. And so if you want to get noticed, if you want to break out, if you want to build a reputation as an expert, as a thought leader, part of the challenge is picking a subject that is worthy enough to elicit other people's attention, to make them care. And, you know, a, a quote that I really like on this, uh, Peter Diamandis, who wrote the, the book with Stephen Kotler, Bold and Abundance, um, he says that the, the fastest way to make a billion dollars is to help a billion people. And I, I think, you know, that's kind of the attitude that we need. What is a problem that is worth solving and how do we go at it? Even, because even if you don't solve it, if you're making good progress, that's, that's impressive enough on its own. And so one example that I, that I cite in Standout is uh, the story of this woman named Rita McGrath, who is a professor at Columbia Business School. And she is recognized in academic circles as being literally one of the leading strategists in the world. They're, they do you know, rankings of academics, and she's in the, in the top 10 without fail. Mm -hmm. And part of how she established her reputation is through something that a lot of people are aware of and concerned about, which is that, you know, I think there's a, a fairly common understanding that the speed of disruption has picked up. You know, you can suddenly go from Blackberries being completely ubiquitous in 2007 to them being, you know, off, off the charts and, you know, nobody's carrying them to within two years. Yeah. Things are moving fast. And so we all know this, but the problem is 
we don't necessarily know what to do about it. And so she wrote a book that came out uh, two years ago. It was called The End of Competitive Advantage. And literally, this was a book about what do you do now that disruption is coming more frequently? What are these steps that you take? Now, that is a worthy challenge. And if you're willing to, to go head, head on into that and come up with, with specific recommendations, I mean, she suggested things like instead of companies doing annual budgeting, they should actually switch to quarterly budgeting because they need to move that much faster, things like that. If you are able to put forward real solutions to problems that people care about, then you're going to get noticed. That's huge. And I like what you said about, you know, when you try to solve a huge problem, you know, even if you get halfway there, it's going to be, it's just still a great solution. It reminds me of a Tim Ferriss quote, actually. He said, when you try to do something big, it's hard to fail completely. Yes. And so it's along the same lines. I was just remembering that when you, when you were talking and, and, and I agree with that. I mean, just th- there's a lot of big problems out there. And I think, I think the big problems intim- intimidate people though. They, they might not feel like they're, they're quite qualified to sort of tackle those problems. Yeah, I, th- I think it's true. I think, you know, some people do shy away from it. I mean, on the plus side, that actually means that if you are willing to engage, there's less competition there, which m- makes it uh, worthwhile. Uh, if, if you're bold enough to do it, uh, I mean, it, it may seem completely counterintuitive, but there's a lot fewer people who are gunning to be CEO than there are gunning to be vice president. Because a lot of people just disqualify themselves and think, well, you know, that other thing is, is too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, you know, part of the secret sauce. But the good thing about these five strategies is that you don't have to do all five of them. You do, you pick one. If you can pick one and execute it well, that is absolutely enough to make your name. Yeah. So you, you talked about the niche strategy, becoming an expert in a small space, kind of uh, growing out from there. The second one was combining disciplines. The third one was creating original research. Number four was attacking a big problem. And what is number five, Dory? So the the fifth and final one, Pat, is what I call creating a framework. And so basically what this means, um, this is a little bit counterintuitive uh, for most people. We assume, I think most of us assume that for almost any discipline, that we're dealing with, you know, almost any problem that because, you know, humanity has existed for millennia, um, the, the, the fundamental precepts of the field have been talked about and figured out. You know, we might think, oh, well, you know, the big stuff has been figured out. We, you know, we just kind of, uh, add around the edges, but the, the truth is, if you look at it, it is actually astonishing, but the fundamental frameworks of many fields have not been articulated. And I'll give you a few examples of what I mean. But if you can do this for your field, it's actually one of one of the strongest and most powerful things that you can do. So you take something like influence and persuasion. I mean, clearly, this is a topic that is of concern to many people. Um, people have been interested in this from the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the past 20 to 30 years that Robert Cialdini, the, uh, the eminent psychologist, actually was able to break it down and say, you know what, all this, you know, influence and persuasion. I mean, people have been talking about it for a long time, but if you break it down, there are only six ways that people persuade each other. And he, he you know, articulated these six ways. Um, similarly, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, uh, people, you know, people have been experiencing grief, unfortunately, for millennia. She says there's five stages of grief that you go through. Um, Abraham Maslow has the hierarchy of needs where he's talking about what motivates people, what makes people happy. It's these frameworks that 
literally once they have been articulated, they make so much sense and help people understand the world in such a different and better way that almost every time they're even glanced upon, you have to mention those people because they have become so central to how we see the world. Mm -hmm. So finding, finding a place where you can create a structure, where you can create a framework, just like David Allen did, for instance, in getting things done. I mean, you know, you might think, okay, productivity, why does that need a framework? But he created one and has become enormously popular as a result. So that's the fifth and final strategy where people can really break out and uh, find a way to make a contribution. Now, is that more than just like a a how-to guide on on something? I mean, it seems like it's a little bit deeper than that. It it seems a little intimidating to kind of just like transform how something's been done for so long, for example. Well, I think there's different ways to to build up to it. So for instance, when I interviewed David Allen, he was telling me about uh, how he created getting things done. And, you know, if you look at it, you know, from, from the end, you know, if you, if you look at it as a finished product, you might Mm -hmm. say, Oh my gosh, how did he ever do this? This is, you know, so comprehensive. I could never come up with something like that. But what he told me was that literally he had been working in the trenches, practicing as a organizational consultant for 20 years before even writing his book. So he said, you know, he told me, he's like, Dory, it wasn't 10,000 hours. I probably spent 20 or 30,000 hours literally sitting next to executives at their desk, helping them organize things. And so by the time he got around to writing his book in 2000, he knew this backwards and forwards. He had been thinking about it for years. And so you don't have to start out knowing everything. You, it's perfectly fine to let things marinate and then, you know, share your ideas when you're ready. Different, different strategies are going to work at different times. I think that's key. But another point that, that I make and stand out is that you also, you know, it's great if you can create an overarching framework, but there's also ways to create a structure in more limited ways. Um, so for instance, you know, in a, in a totally different field, there's a guy that I profile, no relation to David Allen named John Allen. Um, John Allen is a well-known bicycling advocate and he has created, I mean, it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's a bicycling manual bestseller. (laughs) He, uh, (laughs) he took, he took this book, um, you know, like these sort of fundamental principles of, uh, of bicycling. And these were not his original ideas. They were actually distilled from a guy who was like the ultimate kind of guru of of bicycling strategy named John Forrester. Uh, But Forrester was this kind of arcane, argumentative guy. And so what John Allen did was he boiled down Forrester's ideas into like literally a 40-page booklet. And he did it in such an accessible way, such a helpful way, that the booklet was purchased. The reprint rights were purchased by state departments of transportation. And so multiple states now have issued it as, you know, the Ohio Bicycle Manual, the Arizona Bicycle Manual, things like this. It sold nearly half a million copies as a result of, you know, John Allen taking these big ideas by this abstruse thinker and boiling them down, but but in a very clear way and in a way that people say, wow, that makes sense. I need that. That's awesome. I love that. That's so cool. Okay, so we talked about finding that breakthrough idea. And I think we've gotten a great framework here. Five strategies to find that idea if you haven't gotten one ready already. Now, if you take that and you find something or maybe you have one already, let's go to part two. 
how do we how do we build a following around that idea? I mean, I know uh, several ways. I've I've done it in many different ways myself. There's a lot of different platforms where you can get an audience and and sort of magnetically have people come to come your way and connecting with other influencers. But do you have a framework like with building or finding an idea on building a following? I do actually, and I uh, I'd love to I'd love to get your take as well, Pat, based on your experience because you've done such a great job. But what I discovered in the course of interviewing these these fifty top thought leaders is that in general there's a three step process that that people need to follow when it comes to building their following. Um, and to boil it down, it starts out with building your network. It then goes to building your audience, and then finally the final step is what I call building your community. And I'm glad to get into more depth about any of them, but ultimately it's about being strategic and incremental about who you share your message with and when. Right, so just not just like set up a blog and just start writing about it, but actually having some sort of vision of like what the steps are and what to do first and who to connect with and actually taking a sort of smart cuts kind of way. Yeah, exactly. Because I think, I think for too many people, they, they get an idea, they immediately say, okay, great. I'm going to start, I'm going to start sharing it. I'm going to start blogging about it. And they put it out there and they don't get a response and they get discouraged and say, well, I guess that wasn't a good idea. I guess that didn't work. And that's actually unfortunate because a lot of good ideas get thrown away Mm -hmm. uh, at that point when actually if you just tweaked it 10%, 15%, it actually might work really well. You just need to go through this first, this first phase. Uh, You know, you got to do it in order. So building your network is really about finding this group of, you know, trusted advisors, trusted friends, colleagues, um, people who you can bounce ideas off of, you know, who's your community, who um, can you get the feedback that you need to get uh, and get better from it? I know you've talked about, you know, mastermind groups and yeah, things like that. Absolutely. Um, how, how can you bring that into your life? And if you, if you do, uh, you can get feedback so that when you reach that second phase about building your audience and communicating with the broader world, you're more likely to be going out there and going public with a really solid idea that people are, are going to be responding to when you start blogging and speaking and podcasting and things like that. Well, I, obviously I'm a huge proponent of getting connected with people who are going to help lift you up and encourage you that friendly alliance, as I, as I always say, episode 155 is about masterminds completely. And you actually get an inside listen on, on a mastermind group that I have that, uh, that meets every week. But I think, I think the big question in here is, you know, for mastermind groups, it's, it's, it's easy when you've gotten started already, because you can find other people who have already started and people in and around your level. But even before you get started, you're saying you got to find your network. How do you do that? Yeah. So I think early on, it's, it's really a question of finding, you know, you, at any point you want to find like-minded people, but those people don't necessarily have to be doing literally the same thing that you are. Um, they could, you want to get people more than anything who are smart, who care about you and who have the right attitude and mentality. Um, the thing that, that will kill you is if you are relying on people to give you guidance and, you know, they're always naysayers, they're always finding what's, what's wrong with it. I mean, of course you want people who will honestly tell you if your idea is bad, but you don't want someone who is always going to say, well, what about this? Or, you know, that's never going to work. You, you want you want people who are the smartest people, you know, and also the, the people who have heart and who are, are looking out for you. And whether that person is in a different field or not early on, that's that's actually OK. 
over time, you're, you know, as you go, start to go to conferences, as you start to refine your sense of where you want to be and, and what realm you want to play in, you're going to organically meet more people who are doing exactly the thing that you're doing, right. whether it's being a food blogger or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's getting started. And then over time, you can, you can add to your groups. You can get multiple groups. You can iterate. You don't even have to have formal arrangements. It's just about finding a way to bring those people close to you. Right. Yeah. You, you want to find somebody in between the naysayers, just the people who don't believe in you, obviously, and your mom who's just going to say like, oh, yeah, darling, that's great. Like you don't you, you want somebody, like you said, to be completely honest with you the whole time. Is, is there a sort of I don't know, how, how does one gauge into their their radar for somebody who would be great for that? I mean, is it sort of more of a gut feeling or, you know, is there anything quantifiable to find the right people? Or like you said, you just kind of know. Yeah. So, so in standout, I actually write about a woman who had, a, I think, a really interesting story. Um, her name is Kari Anderson. And I profiled her because she actually uh, has been a part of two different mastermind groups, one that has been going for nearly 30 years and one that's wow. been going for 25 years. I mean, just the, the longevity is astounding. Yeah. And it's like, I need to go to the hospital because it's so long. You can hear the uh, Sarah, that was a bad joke. I was trying to make something funny because I hear the sirens in the background. But you're in New York, so I, I uh, <laughs> it's all good. Anyway, so that for that long in a mastermind group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she she said when I interviewed her that this is this is literally it's become the most singular professional experience of her life because these people. I mean, she knows them practically better than she knows her family because over time, you know, they've met every single month, whether it's in person or on Skype. And you build up this, this base of understanding and trust, this ability that if someone you feel like is, uh, you know, gi giving you a little bit of bull, you can, you know, mm -hmm. you can push back mm -hmm. and it's, it's really valuable. And so some tips that she shared, um, you know, the first thing is that you do not want to uh, invite people in too quickly. That's, that's a big mistake. It's like, it's like getting married too quickly. You want to have a courtship. So you want to, if, if someone strikes your fancy as someone that you think might be a good you know, member, get to know them one-on-one -on -one first, you know, have a few coffee dates. Yeah. If they, if you still think they seem promising, bring them together in some kind of a, a casual social situation with other people who are in the group or who uh, you're also considering for the group to see what the chemistry is like, mm -hmm. because you might get derailed if one person in a group setting, they might've been fine one-on-one, -on -one, but in a group setting, they're really domineering or they always want to be talking or something like that. Um, you, you want to suss these things out before you ink anything. That's great advice. Yeah. Just, you know, get to know them first before you make any, any formal arrangements there. Once you build this network, you have people who you connect with, who have a heart, who are going to be there to help you because you're going to be there to help them too. Before you even start anything, what, what do you do with that network? I'm assuming you, you just talk about what you're going to do and, and just request that honest feedback. Yeah, that's, that's right. The way that, that Kari Anderson runs her group, which I think, you know, obviously people can make their own modifications, but I think as kind of a general template, it's a pretty good idea. So every month they, they literally just kind of go around in a circle, either literally or, you know, metaphorically online. And uh, each person says two things. One is a request that they have of the group. You know, so maybe it's, all right, I'm really trying to build up my speaking business this year. And so I'm, you know, looking for referrals to speaking engagements, especially, uh, in XYZ field or, mm -hmm. you know, especially in the Bay area or whatever it is. And then the, the second piece is that they talk about an offer that they have for other people. 
So, you know, they, they need to, to, you know, sort of come prepared with something that, that they have. And it doesn't, you know, literally have to be a sort of, tr- you know, transactional thing, but it could just be, hey, I found this amazing app and it's really made my bookkeeping so much simpler. And I want to tell you guys about it because I think you might be having a similar problem. Or, you know, it could be uh, actual referrals for, for clients. Mm-hmm. It could be, hey, you know, two months ago, you, you know, you mentioned that you wanted to update your website and you needed to find a good web designer. I just met someone that I think would be perfect. Can I connect you guys? And so it's, it's coming with both the ask and the give. And everyone goes around the circle. They, they keep meticulous notes and literally do refer back over time so that they can constantly be in a mode of giving and reciprocating. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely agree with that. What are your thoughts on a mentor versus a network? Yeah, so mentor mentoring is actually a really interesting question. And in fact, I wrote a free ebook about that uh, very question. Oh, no way. Uh, yeah, if people are interested, they can Google uh, Dory Clark Mentorship 2.0 and, uh, and download that. It's based off of a chapter that I have in my first book, Reinventing You. Um, so I have lots of thoughts about it. But the, mm. the basic idea is that I actually uh, really believe that the idea that we have a mentorship as a culture is wrong. It's, it's outdated. My thoughts really were crystallized when I interviewed this guy named Tom DeLong, who's a Harvard Business School professor for my Forbes blog. And he was telling me that, that he really believes that mentorship is, is broken these days, largely because of economic shifts that have happened over the last 20 years. Uh-huh. Because it used to be that more senior professionals, you know, let's say people in their in their late fifties, early sixties, they were the folks that were, you know, at the at the top of their game, but they were able to begin, uh, you know, sort of shedding some of their responsibilities. They still stay on, but they weren't constantly having to do day to day work, and so they had the time and the interest and the bandwidth to mentor junior employees. Mm-hmm. That is gone now because of economic pressures. And they are, if they are going to keep having their salaries and keep being around, they are required to be rainmakers. And so everything else has gotten off the table. They don't have time to be mentors. Everyone would like to have a mentor. Very few people are willing to take time to be a mentor. And so if we're actually going to be able to be successful in learning from other people, what I suggest in Reinventing You is that we need to reconceptualize mentorship. And instead of looking for this one perfect unicorn of a person who is exactly who we want to be in 10 or 15 years and is willing to take us under their wing, Mm. um, we should instead be thinking more expansively about a a mentor board of directors where we are seeking to learn individual discrete skills or traits or attitudes from a variety of different people, whether they are senior to us, whether they're our colleagues, or maybe they're even our employees or our interns. Yeah. So taking kind of who you want to be, not finding that, I like how you said unicorn, meaning that they don't exist, uh, but like finding somebody, if I want to better my speaking career, I find somebody to help me with that. If I want to better my writing, I find somebody to help me with that. If I want to better, you know, men's fashion, I can find somebody to help me with that. Exactly. It's like a la carte mentoring. (laughs) And then you actually talk to them and you kind of ask them to become a mentor and that sort of thing. Or is it, can it, can it be just sort of a Hey, there's a guy, he has a blog. He's awesome. I love what he does. Uh, I'm just going to follow what he does and get inspiration from him. Yeah, you can certainly have mentors from afar. I mean, that that's um, absolutely legitimate. Um, many people have, you know, quote unquote, mentors uh, from the past, you know, great historical figures whose yeah, biographies true. that they 
that they read. Um, so certainly, you know, if there's sort of a, you know, a, a celebrity or a, you know, a, a, a person from history that you admire, you can totally do it that way. If it's a real life person, you actually have two different choices, um, which, which I outline in, uh, in reinventing you. One is, you know, literally, as you say, um, you can, you know, after a certain period of time, I mean, you don't want to like spring this on somebody when you're first meeting them, but after a certain period of time where they've gotten to know you and vice versa, you can ask them to be your mentor. If you do that, it's really important to specify what that means. And the reason that I say that is that for a lot of busy people, asking to, you know, to, to be their, their mentee um, stresses them out a little bit because they think, oh my gosh, what does this person want from me? Mm-hmm. Is this going to take a lot of time? And so it's really important to, to say something like, I would love it if you'd consider being my mentor. And that means that every six months we'll have breakfast and I'll buy you breakfast and you tell me, you know, some of your thoughts about questions I might have. Yeah, that's and, cool. You know, that sounds manageable. I like um, that. I like that Yeah, a lot. so people can totally do it. The other option is to be what I call a, you know, to have them as a stealth mentor. <laughs> and uh, that means you don't necessarily ever explicitly identify them as your mentor, but you just keep you keep showing up, you keep, uh, sort of increasing the stakes a little bit, you know, first it starts out with, uh, you know, with, a, you know, maybe a, a one-time coffee. And then at the end of the coffee, you say, Hey, this is so helpful. Do you mind if in a couple of months, maybe we could do this again and I could follow up and they'll probably say, Oh, sure. Right. And you just, you keep doing it so that over time they begin to think of you as their mentee, even if it's never explicitly stated. Yeah. I love that. So Elon Musk, if you're listening to this right now, uh, I would love to take you out for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, awesome, cool. So building your network, part one of, 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 you know, after you get that idea, part two, building your audience. I'd love, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about, you know, what it takes to build your audience from there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this, is, this is something, Pat, where you've certainly excelled. And I know a lot of your listeners uh, who are inspired by you have, uh, have probably been, been doing this as well. This is probably the most visible part of, uh, of, you know, marketing and, mm-hmm. and, you know, going viral and things like that. Um, this is the, the place where you begin to share your ideas with the world. And essentially the, the goal here is to make you and your ideas findable by like-minded people. Um, it's not going to do the world any good if they don't know that you're out there. So it's about content creation. It's about, uh, you know, doing, doing all the things so that if somebody looks on Google, if they're hunting around, if they're you know combing through the newspaper or talking to their friends, people say, "Oh, you know, it's so funny. You mentioned that this guy Pat Flynn was just talking about it." And that's that's what we you know want to want to create where they can just find you, begin to listen to you, and say, "Oh, I like how he thinks." And uh, and so really, content creation is the driver uh, mm-hmm. of this section. And where it tips over, the place where really special things start happening is in that shift from, you know, the audience, which is where you are speaking to a large group of people to building a community. And that's, that's where people have bought into your ideas so much. They like them so much. You are no longer the only person talking about your idea. Other people have taken up the mantle. So just like the lean startup, Eric Reese, if, if he was relied upon to be the only person to be, you know, sort of the one man band beating the drum of the lean startup, it couldn't, it couldn't actually spread that far. But today, literally there's hundreds of thousands of people participating around the world in lean startup meetup groups because they find the ideas so useful and so meaningful. Yeah, they are cool. connecting around the ideas, even when Eric is not in the room. 
Right. And I've talked about, you know, converting your casual audience, you know, just your regular audience into a community and then community into raving fans. I did a whole presentation about that a, a, a number of different times, actually. That was one of my most popular presentations. So I, I'm fully on to this idea. Uh, I'm curious, what what are your thoughts or what do you outline in the book in terms of, okay, how do you convert people who are just kind of, you know, they find you, they're like-minded. How do you convert those people in, into a community? Obviously, other community members can help bring them on board. That's really important. But what else do you have to add? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's some technical elements. I mean, obviously you want to make things uh, easy for people to share, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, if you can find ways to, uh, to facilitate community building both online and off, that's great too. Um, but, but actually what matters even more, you know, what the singular determinative factor is when it comes to whether a community is able to spring up around your idea, it is the question of how much the idea from its inception is about more than just you. You know, my, my sort of perfect example of this, something like Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who are um, high-ranking executives who write books. Mm-hmm. And their books do not catch on the way her book did because their book is really just about, hey, I'm a powerful executive and I want, I want to write a book. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, sort of an exercise in narcissism. But she wrote this book and she tried very deliberately for the book to be not just about her, but a call to action for women to, you know, to, to lean in, you know, to, that, that every woman in theory could see a part of herself in this book and ask herself, am I, am I actually volunteering enough? Am I asking for that raise enough? Uh, am I raising my hand enough? And it's an idea that, uh, that, that people find relevant to themselves. So if, if the idea is generous, then that actually, from the very beginning, enables it to have the capacity to spread. So for, you know, for something like, like smart passive income, uh, this is something that people want to talk about because they're learning things, it's benefiting them, they're recommending it to their friends. It wouldn't just be the case if it was Pat's podcast where you know, all he does is talk about uh, you know, different stuff that he ate or whatever. It's, it's about adding value to, uh, to other people. Right. Right. And, and I definitely know the power of the community to help spread the word. I mean, this reminds me of how the joy luck club, I think it was the book that kind of just spread by wildfire, not because the author did, you know, much of the work to, to market it, but because just these little groups started to form where people started to read this book together in book clubs. And then it just kind of spread like wildfire from there. And, and I don't know the exact reason why that book in particular did it. I didn't do uh, much research on that, but I just, it kind of reminds me of the same sort of just spreading because of the community and people coming together as a result of, of what, I guess, the experiences that that, brought, that that book brought each of those people. And I've seen this in many different ways. I've seen community uh, be built on smart passive income. And this, is, this isn't just for business and, and books either. This is for, for all parts of life. Like, you, you know, the people who are, insanely obsessed with star trek you know they they have a name for themselves they call themselves trekkies you know and every every artist now has their own group that they call themselves you know the fans call themselves either you know swifties if you're a taylor swift fan or you know your little monster if you're a lady gaga fan and all that stuff so it, it it's absolutely incredible what can happen when when you have a community behind you who believes in what you do who believes in that message i mean they're going to want to be a part of it and spread it for you as if they're almost like a re- representative of you yeah, that's, that's exactly right, Pat. And, uh, and yeah, you're, the, the phenomenon of virality that you're alluding to, I think, you know, for folks who are interested in this further, this was actually one of the, the case studies that, you know, one of, one of the original great 
turn of the century business books, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell yeah, had yeah. a chapter about this. It was, uh, in his case, he was writing about the, the divine secrets of the Yaya sisterhood. That's the and, one. I did not the Joy Luck Club. I, that, yeah. The Yaya sisterhood one is the book I meant to say. Yeah, so the Joy Luck Club was very similarly popular. You're absolutely right. But yeah, it was through through the book club structure that it became popular because, um, you know, as, as you were alluding to, if you read something as an individual, great, fantastic. You might tell a friend if it comes up. But if you're reading it and you are, you know, it's baked in that you're going to be talking about it with 10 or 15 of your closest friends, that becomes a viral phenomenon. And if, if it's uh, popular in book clubs, it's, uh, it begins to, to have a, a kind of communal meaning. Thank you for saying that because that's exactly where I got it from. The tipping point, actually, I just referenced the wrong book. Man, th- this has been a- an incredible conversation. You know, almost uh, you know, step by step here, which, which is great. And obviously, there's a lot more to the puzzle. And I would highly recommend everybody go and check out your book, Stand Out by Dory Clark: How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. When does it When does it come out? So the official launch date is April 21st. Awesome. Well, congratulations. By the time this goes live, it will have been out for a couple weeks now. So we're going to try and drive some more sales for you. And again, this is a, an incredible book with a lot of great case studies, inspirational, but also very, uh, very like this is how you do it. And I, I'm really glad that you almost built a framework out of all this, uh, you know, stuff that's, you know, pretty hard to grasp for a lot of people too. Dory, where can people find out more about you? Where can people get the book and where can they connect with you? Yeah, thank you so much, Pat. Uh, one thing I want to mention is that for folks who are really interested in thinking through how they can apply these concepts in their own lives. I actually created a a free giveaway. Uh, It's a 42-page workbook that I actually adapted from Standout. Uh, It's called 139 Questions to Help You Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. And uh, and literally, uh, it's, it's questions to ask yourself so that you can hopefully begin to really think about and draw out your own breakthrough ideas. That's available uh, as a free download on my website, doryclark.com. My books are Stand Out and Reinventing You. They're available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and, uh, you know, book, fine, fine and uh, discerning bookstores almost everywhere. <laughs> so uh, I, I look forward to, to connecting with, with people there. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Dory Clark. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dory. We wish you the best of luck with the launch. And thank you for writing your book. Thanks, Pat. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dory Clark. Again, from doryclark.com. That's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. Amazing episode. And we have the links and resources and everything mentioned, her books, all at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 161. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 161. I also want to thank today's sponsors, a brand new sponsor today, a tool that I've used several times. I actually use this every single day. Now, you might actually remember Laura Roeder from episode 132 who talked about social media and also introduced her a brand new tool called Edgar. I use Edgar every single day to post on my Facebook group page and also on Twitter. And the cool thing is it recycles posts. So sometimes on these schedulers, you write the post ahead of time and then once it goes out, it goes away. No, Edgar recycles it. And what's cool is people aren't on social media all the time to see the, the tweets until you get more out of the content that you're writing, which is great. It saves all of your updates in a giant library and then automatically fills and refills your queue by pulling updates from that particular library. And every update gets a chance to be seen by followers who haven't seen it before. And it works. It completely has changed how I do social media. You can check it out at meetedgar.com slash pat. If you go to meetedgar.com slash pat, you can check it out. And again, this is the social media scheduling tool that I use today to recycle and also use and automate 
uh, and start conversations without me having to do it on my own every single day because it does it for me. So again, meetedgar.com slash pat. Spend less time doing the busy work and you can dedicate more of your time on social media to the parts you actually enjoy. Also, I wanna take a quick moment just to thank you. I don't know if you realize this, but you've had, you, the listeners, have made a massive impact on the direction of where Smart Passive Income has gone. Uh, As a result of you, I've been interviewing certain guests that you've recommended. As a result of uh, your recommendations, I've been tackling different topics that are that are of high interest to you. Uh, in addition to that, I created a brand new podcast called Ask Pat, which you may have heard of before. And on that show, I answer voicemail questions from you as well. You can actually check that out at askpat.com. But that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. Obviously, Ask Pat, there needs to be questions in addition to my answers in order to make that show success and and I'm so thankful that uh, it's there and, and I have you to thank for that. I also have you to thank for pushing me to create some online courses to help you through a number of the, of the different problems and pains that you might be having with your online business, uh, the, the scaling of it, just even the start and the process of it. Um, even though there's a lot of great free information here via the podcast, I know, and I know this from my own experience as well, courses can be life-changing because you you purchase a course and you are just in that mindset of actually doing that thing that that course tells you to, to do. And I have a number of different courses available to you if that's the kind of thing you need in order to actually finally start getting results and taking action. So I know a number of you have already taken action, which is fine. Like I'm not trying to push these courses on you, but they are there and available for those of you who would much prefer to get that targeted information and the accountability and the handholding through those processes. So if you want to check out and see all the courses that are available to you, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. That's a page that's going to continually grow over time as well. So keep checking back, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. And I look forward to uh, to hopefully seeing you there. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I look forward to serving you in next week's episode. Next week, look forward to it because we have a success story, an amazing one from somebody who created their first online course and he was crushing it and tells us all about how he did that. So I'll see you next week. Cheers. Keep crushing it. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.